Welcome to Equipped. Whether you're a longtime follower of Christ, new to the faith, or just exploring the claims of Christ, we hope these next few minutes will build you up, deepen your faith, and equip you to walk in maturity with Christ. I'm Chris Clark, the host for Equipped Today, and we will be looking at a very important question. Today, we're joined by Chase Ifland, a recent seminary grad and community coordinator at Redemption Church. Say what's up, Chase. Hey, everyone. Well, Chase, we recently hosted an Equip Night where we talked about cultural engagement as believers. It was a fantastic night that raised a lot of healthy questions. In our world today, people are hungry for answers to their biggest questions and are easily convinced that something is true even when it may not actually be true. Therefore, as Christians, we want to have answers to these big questions about our faith, both for our own discipleship and so we can explain the things we believe to others. During the Equip Night, Audra said, explanation is today's currency, meaning that people are longing for explanations of everything in their lives. Well, James 1 says, if we lack wisdom to ask God for it and to trust that it will be given. And Paul in Ephesians 4 says that God has given the church teachers and leaders who are meant to equip every believer so that they may become mature in Christ. We want to be people who know what we believe and why we believe it so that we aren't tempted to pursue false explanations that appear good on the surface, but are really foolish and untrue. And as believers, we're commanded to make disciples, which means we must engage our world with the gospel. So back to Audra's point. Yes, we need to be equipped with a currency of explanation for the sake of the gospel. Well, Chase, one question that was raised during Equip Night was, how do I know I can trust the Bible? Since Christianity is based on the Bible, this is a central question to our faith. And we thought it'd be good to look at the reasons why we can trust the Bible. Chase, this is a massive topic that some have studied their entire lives. But if you had to give us a starting point here, or maybe some hooks we can hang the hats of our faith on, what would they be? Yeah, thanks, Chris. This is a topic that has always been important to me, so I'm excited to get to share some things with you guys today. To begin to answer this question, I want to look at three main things. First, the claims the Bible makes about itself. Second, how we can know the Bible isn't just made up. And third, whether or not the English Bibles that we have today are accurate representations of what the biblical authors actually wrote. So first, what claims does the Bible make about itself? Well, in short, the Bible claims to be the Word of God. In the Old Testament, we see this very clearly, as many of the Old Testament writings contain the phrase, Thus says the Lord. But the Bible also claims that even the not-so-obvious Old Testament passages are God's Word. David's Psalms, for example, might not explicitly say, thus says the Lord, but in the New Testament, Jesus says that David wrote his Psalms in the Spirit, meaning his words were being inspired by God's Holy Spirit. And of course, Jesus, God incarnate, consistently referenced the Old Testament scriptures as the authoritative Word of God. Not only does the Old Testament claim to be the Word of God, the New Testament does as well. Jesus, when speaking specifically to his disciples, tells them in John 14, 26, that the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And then in John 16, 13 through 14, Jesus says that the Spirit will guide you into all truth. He will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, the apostles would have the power of God's Holy Spirit to both remember what Jesus had told them in order to write it down, 
and also to receive further revelation from God for the instruction of the church. The apostles were, in a sense, the New Testament prophets. We can see further evidence of this in both Peter and Paul's letters. A first example is in 2 Peter 3.16. There, Peter says that some of the things in Paul's letters are hard to understand and that some people twist his words. And then Peter says that they do this as they do the other scriptures. So Peter is making Paul's writings equal with the Old Testament by comparing them to the other scriptures. Then the second example is 1 Timothy 5.17-18 where Paul says, For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Well, the first part of that quotation comes from Deuteronomy, but the second part comes from Luke 10.7, which shows that Paul believed the gospel of Luke to be scripture, the word of God. So both the Old Testament and the New Testament claim to be the word of God. And if the Bible is the word of God, we know that we can trust it because God cannot lie or deceive. God's greatest desire is for our good, and so we know that the Bible has been written for our good. But, someone might say, even if the Bible claims to be the Word of God, how do we know that it isn't just completely made up? Well, we can have much confidence that the Bible isn't simply made up because the Bible contains many marks of authenticity. One of these marks of authenticity is the internal unity that runs throughout the Bible. The books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation were written over a period of approximately 1,500 years. Yet the themes introduced in Genesis run throughout the whole Bible. The theology is consistent from beginning to end, and there are hundreds and maybe even thousands of prophecies that are made and then fulfilled. It would have been impossible to produce a book as unified as the Bible with over 30 authors and over a period of 1,500 years without it being the very Word of God. Another mark of authenticity that we find in the Bible is that the Gospels in particular contain aspects of the story that the authors would never have invented. Here's what I mean by that. In the first century, women were considered untrustworthy, and their testimony wasn't even admissible in court. Yet in the Gospels, it's women who first find Jesus' tomb empty. Why would the gospel writers make that up when it would only hurt the reliability of their story? Another aspect of the story the gospel writers would never have invented is Jesus being mocked and crucified. Jesus was the hero of their story, the Messiah, the King. And the expectation of every first century Jew, including the disciples, was that the Messiah would powerfully rule and restore the fortunes of Israel. So if they wanted to write a good story about their friend named Jesus, they would never have made Jesus suffer insult after insult and ultimately die on a cross. A final aspect of the story that the disciples were unlikely to make up is their own negative portrayal. All throughout the Gospels, we see the disciples not quite getting it. It's easy for us reading the stories today to make fun of them or even look down on the disciples for living with Jesus and still not understanding who he was. But if the disciples were inventing a story, then they didn't have to make themselves look bad. And they certainly wouldn't have picked women to find the empty tomb, and they wouldn't have chosen to have Jesus mocked and murdered. But they weren't inventing a story. They were reporting the facts. One of the strongest pieces of evidence in my mind that the New Testament isn't just made up is what happened after Jesus was killed. The eleven remaining apostles took the message about Jesus to every corner of the known world, and most, if not all of them, were killed for their faith. 
If the apostles had just been making up stories about their friend, there's no way they would have taken the lie so far that they were willing to be killed for it. But if Jesus was the Son of God, and what they had seen and written down was true, and the Spirit of God was with them, then they might just start the largest religion in world history. And of course, that's exactly what happened. But one more piece of evidence for the trustworthiness of the Bible is the archaeological and geological evidence. Unlike the holy books for some other religions, everything we know about the locations, customs, and events of the ancient Near East fits with what was written in the Bible. Cities in the Bible really existed, and they existed where the Bible says they did. Kings who ruled in the Bible were real people who really ruled. Of course, scholars haven't found every city or evidence for every person mentioned in the Bible, but what has been discovered has only served to support the Bible's account, not to dispute it. So that's some strong evidence for why we can trust that the Bible is what it claims to be, the Word of God. But now the next logical question is, how do we know that what we are reading today, in English, 2,000 years later, is actually what was originally written? Well, it might surprise you to know that we don't have any of the original copies of any of the books in the Bible. But that's not unique. We don't have original copies of anything that was written at the same time as the Bible. Documents that old just were not preserved. So how can we trust that what we have is what the original authors wrote? Well, for the sake of time, let's just consider the New Testament. And for the New Testament, what we do have is around 6,000 partial manuscripts, with the earliest one dating to A.D. 130. Maybe that sounds impressive to you, and maybe it doesn't. So let me give you some context. We have more manuscripts and earlier manuscripts for the New Testament than any other piece of ancient writing. The next closest is Homer's Iliad, for which we have less than 2,000 partial manuscripts, and the earliest one is from roughly 300 years after it was written. Another important ancient document to consider is Suetonius's Twelve Caesars, from which we get much of our information about Roman history. Well, guess how many manuscripts we have of Suetonius's work? Less than 20. And how old is the earliest manuscript? It's from the 8th century, which means that it's from 700 years after it was originally written. And remember what I said that we have for the New Testament. Almost 6,000 manuscripts, and the oldest one is from less than 30 years after it was originally written. The data is really, truly remarkable. Unfortunately, you always hear people questioning the validity of the New Testament, but nobody ever asked if Homer really wrote the Iliad or if we have any reason to trust what we know about Roman history. The issue isn't in the evidence. It's in what people want to believe or not believe. So what does this mean? It means that we can have confidence that what we have today is what the biblical authors, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, actually wrote. Scholars tell us that we can be certain about over 99.9% of the words in the New Testament. And in places where we aren't sure, the differences are usually minor and don't affect any major Christian doctrine. This is why, though, you might see footnotes in your Bible that say something like, some of the earliest manuscripts do not contain this. And that brings us to our last issue. What about different translations? Every English Bible available to us today is a translation of the Hebrew and Greek manuscripts that we have. And different translations exist for several reasons. One is because the English language has changed over time, and it can even change rather quickly making older translations difficult to read and new translations necessary. Another reason is because different translations use different approaches for their translations. 
For example, the NASB uses a word-for-word approach, trying to assign one English word for every Hebrew or Greek word. The NIV, on the other hand, uses a more thought-for-thought approach. Both approaches have their pros and cons, and being able to read multiple translations can help aid in our understanding of the Bible. The bottom line is that all of the popular Bible translations have been completed by men and women who have dedicated their lives to studying Greek and Hebrew, so we can be confident that what we have in our hands and on our devices is an accurate rendering of the Word of God. Well, hopefully this has answered some of the questions that you might have about the trustworthiness of the Bible. As Christians, our entire faith rests on this book, and we submit our lives to its authority, so we want to know that we can trust it. And we also want to be able to tell others why we trust it and why they can trust it as well. Thanks again for listening to Equipped. We hope that today's topic will strengthen your faith and maturity in Christ. Equipped is a podcast produced by Redemption Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. If we've not yet met, we'd love to meet you. You can visit our services at Cheyenne Middle School every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or watch along online by visiting our website, redemptionokc.com. You can also find us on social media. Till next time, may the light of Christ shine on you.